What's up, guys? Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and on today's episode, I am sitting down with good friend Cole Finley to talk about our recent rut success stories. Cole and I get into the stories that uh, of our hunts, and then we also talk about work, family, and hunting balance. We talk about having fun, because at the end of the day, that's what bow hunting is all about, is having fun. And it was good of Cole to come on and remind me just of what that means. We also talk about rut tactics, whether it's hunting terrain features, doe bedding, all day sits, calling tactics, you name it, we're talking about it. So I hope you guys are having a good season this year, and it's the heart of the season, it's the best time of the year to be in the woods, so I hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get into this episode, we are brought to you by Rack Daddy Minerals. You can head over to rackdaddyminerals.com, save yourself 10% on any product that you purchase using the code 573. My most recent hunt where I was successful, a Rack Daddy mock scrape proved really helpful in that scenario as that buck was cruising through and he was about to scent check that mock scrape before I put an arrow in him. So I can really attribute that to Rack Daddy Minerals and then I know my father-in-law recently shot a really nice buck. I'm hoping to get him on for that story. Ended up being about 14 points and we were able to get trail cam photos of that deer using Rack Daddy Minerals in from the summertime into the uh, the fall up until the, the moment that uh, he was able to be successful in that deer. So head over to RackDaddyMinerals.com, support a local business, and give them what they want. for jumping on we're in the heart of the season man i'm getting excited we're here we're here you and i've had a little luck so i'm excited to start talking about some of those stories and talking a little rut tactics a little family work-life balance all that good stuff with you man thanks for coming on of course man sweet sweet november is finally here it's uh yeah much anticipated but it's here we're uh we're in the heart of it i'm gonna unplug one ear okay there we go. That's much better. Um, You're not a fan of the. No, well, I mean, for my job, you know, talking ATC, you know, I I typically will have my voice in one ear, but also have my surroundings so I can hear other things going on in the facility. So I got you. That's one reason why I do like You're to just have, used to. Yeah, kind of like yeah, like that spatial spatial awareness. But um, yeah, tell me about your. I'm anxious to hear about this property. That you is it near here? Is it in the county? Or? It's um so it's about I don't know how it's probably forty five miles from here. Okay. But it's an hour drive just okay. with because it's back roads and stuff right. like that. Monroe County. Okay. I'm pretty sure is the county. Okay. And uh, it's thirty acres of timber. Nice. And it sets up around. Some of the parcels are not huge, mm-hmm. but they're 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 bigger parcels. Okay. And I don't I know one side doesn't hunt at all. 
And so I may even try to get, a, slip in and get great, some permission. On yeah, that. it's a great shoe in there. The other, it, it's on a river, so it there's the backside. I mean, I don't have to worry about too much pressure coming from the backside because people are not apt to crossing a river. They're probably going to stay out in them ag fields mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. hunt those. And the other side's pasture ground, and I know that they gun hunt it. I don't know if they bow hunt it. This is just what I've learned yeah. from yeah. Uh, talking to the sellers. But it's 30 acres, and it's a funnel in between everything. Okay. And down in the bottom is a food plot. Okay. And it's, like I said, up against a river. And so it's got white oaks, black oaks, um, pin oaks all on top of okay. this ridge. And then everything funnels down into this yeah. food plot area, which is still a work in progress, which, you know, obviously I right. like that. I, it's not turnkey by any means. No, no, you don't. So, want, I, I personally, I'm with you. I, I would not. I'd want to make it my own, like yeah. be able to, you know, take a couple of years. You're in at least one good solid year. I think whatever the cliche saying is that it takes three years to learn a property. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. So it sounds like the previous the the previous owner was a hunting type person as oh, well. oh yeah yeah those guys uh they're, they're serious they only owned it for one year though so oh wow they they did some things to it to improve it but you know there's still work to be done i okay. feel like and uh you know there's still opportunity maybe to expand mm-hmm. where this is this this property possibly even adding on some acreage and whatnot cool so very cool lots so to what's be excited about What's access look like? Is it access is the north? east side? East side. Okay. So every west wind is blowing into this neighboring Perfect. cow pasture. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of your western northwest winds predominant winds in the in the fall and early winter. So yeah, that's that's pretty great. I mean, I, I mean, for whatever reason, the last week and a half, two weeks, it's been east winds. So yeah, it's been crappy. But it's been I don't history know. says west wind right good right yeah, and that's just the one thing in my job is. I'm pretty, pretty in tune with the weather and, you know, what the, you know, days like this today, south wind, tomorrow will be a west-southwest wind before it switches to a northwest wind when that cold front blows in, you know, for whatever time it's going to blow in on Friday. So it's, it's cool in my job to get to sit there and watch that wind dial, you know, as it slowly wants to tick back up to, you know, southwest to west wind and then west to get a real solid west wind for about a day or so and then boom it switches and watch that pressure rise at the same time it's so what exactly is your job title uh i'm an air traffic controller so yeah air traffic controller at the columbia regional airport um anything that goes on on the airfield or in the airspace around the airport they're they're talking to us so it's i love it that's what i did in the army um and yeah it's it's a miracle. It truly is a miracle that I'm that I'm back here. I went to Southern Boone, um, lived in the five seven three my basically my entire life, with the exception of a few years when I was first born and then my military time. Other than that, it's been from Sturgeon down to Hartsburg to Columbia to yeah, so pretty much all of Boone County. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, it uh, I do I do love my job. It's um, like I said, it's a miracle. I lived in Illinois for a very brief stint. And then the guy that I I took his position when he left to go back home, he got an opportunity to go back home. Um, 
I was able to, to fill that position. Somehow, still to this day, three and a half, four years later, I have no idea how he got my phone number. But one day I got off shift in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, which is about two hours south of Chicago. Um, he's like, hey, my name's John. I know you don't know me, but I hear you're from here and wanted to give you an opportunity to like transfer back to transfer back home. And I'm like, okay, I'm being punked or something like this just does Dude, not seem real. Right. So I immediately went back up and talked to my manager. I was like, Hey, I don't know if this is legit or not. I don't know if you can reach out to the Columbia manager and find out what's going on. And it was legit. And, uh, yeah, I think the reason I'd only been with the company for six months and their company policy is that you have to be at one place for a year before you can put in a transfer request. I put one in anyway, just to kind of see if they'd, uh, I don't know, see if they'd accept the transfer. And then when they found out, like, oh, you know, I'd been there to do a facility tour before, and I knew some people working there at the airport, and they're like, at least I think that they were thinking, okay, if we can get this guy home, he's probably going to be at this facility for a while. And they, they're they right. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So, yeah, yeah it's it's a miracle. So I'm, I'm here to stay, for sure. How much do you utilize in your job, the wind and the barometric pressure? Every day. Every, every hour, every hour we're, uh, so we have to record a, uh, an hourly observation or what's called a speci, a special observation. If conditions change, um, whether that's your cloud height and density, which is called your ceiling. Um, if that changes, if the, uh, pressure like barometric pressure, what it's called in aviation is the altimeter. Um, if that changes more than a certain amount of points per hour, you have to cut an observation because that can affect where a plane's at um, as far as their altitude readout that we can see or, you know, that our overlying approach can see. Um, and then, yeah, I have to cut an hourly weather observation for everything from wind, visibility, uh, sky condition, any weather phenomena. So rain, fog, snow, sleep, mist, anything that obscures your vision. Um temperature dew point and then your pressure and then anything else that you know goes on with that that's that's pertinent to, to flying and aviation safety so yeah weather not only in my job but obviously very crucial in and what we do yeah so yeah yeah it's it's a lot of fun though it's a lot of fun there's i i would invite people out all the time so if you're ever in columbia and you want to come See I what know. I call I the best. You, up on that. you do, man. You do. What I call the best deer stand in Boone County because it's huge. It's air conditioned, and you can see a ton of fields from from the tower. So, so when you're reading all these winds and barometric pressures, are you seeing things that you know in these fields? Are you are you noticing activities? Man, I have, and I've gotten to see. You know, we're the tower is only like sixty feet tall, um, but you get up above the tree line, and you can see. So from the, the airport, which I think is 11 miles south of the city of Columbia, I can see like when there's a game of throw, you can see the stadium lights. Um, those twin smokestacks downtown just off of Providence, yeah. you can see those red flashing lights. You can see helicopters launching off, uh, off the university, medevac helicopters. So, you know, something just like that, you can see everything. So anytime a coyote will go running into a field, um, I've seen some crazy stuff, man. Just like from that aspect of, you know, a coyote getting close to um, a doe fawn pair that that fawn's maybe only a month or two old. 
And man, that doe will just stare that coyote down. And that coyote will try and circle downwind and get, you know, find out where that fawn's at and she'll run him off. It's just, it's cool to get a, um, what's the word? Uh, just a perspective that's separated from the actual situation that's going on. So, and then you can kind of, you know, use that as to, okay, how aware of, are these deer of their, of their surroundings? So, yeah, I mean, they have no idea that somebody's watching them from no. so far and so Not above. Not a clue. Not a clue. And they'll come trotting down what we call Tower Road. There's two big 10-foot fences for the airport perimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, man, they'll feed right, you know, just graze right in the in the grass at the base of the tower. And I'll walk out on the catwalk and go, Psst, hey. And they look up and they're like, oh, my gosh, there's <laughs> there's actually somebody up there. So, yeah, it's... It's yeah. pretty cool. To, this isn't a good place for you to be. Right, exactly. Yeah. If I could have my bow up there, we'd we'd have filled a couple tanks by now for sure. <laughs> How high up are you? Uh, about 60 feet, 50, 60 feet. Okay. So, yeah. Way taller than any tree stand I'd want to <laughs> sit in, but, you know. Uh, same here. Shot angle would be, uh, would be pretty tough if we tried to do that. So, yeah. Well, um, you know, kind of switch gears, keep it on the deer topic. Yeah. You've had quite a bit of luck here in the the rut this year and i i wanted to dive right into that story can i talk about yeah um you know how it went down i i actually can't even remember when it went down i think it was a a Uh, week ago or so wasn't it uh what's today uh the night week ago we go today yeah so november 2nd actually the second year in a row i've filled a buck tag on november 2nd so i guess that's that's my day you know every hunter says oh Mm -hmm. november 7th or november 8th or whatever um so the property is, um, I'll just say it's in Boone County. Um, it is a new permission piece for me this year. Um, kind of made that connection earlier in the, kind of late summer actually. And the lander was like, yeah, man, go for it. There's a ton of deer. Take as many as you want. So I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's my kind of landowner. Right exactly. There. That's, you always um, love to hear that. Right. And so it sets up, uh, there's a house on the property that has a pretty big, I'd say a 20, eh, 15, 20 acre, uh, just pasture, just, you know, fescue and, you know, regular, what most would consider a cattle pasture, but there's not cattle on it. Um, couple timber fingers that come off of that lots and lots of oaks on this property, which did make it, um, difficult to kind of pinpoint, um, you know, where the deer were at, especially in a first year, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'll just pop into find a couple of white oaks. Well, when an entire ridge is filled with white oaks, it was raining. Acorns this yes. Year. This year was an incredible year for the acorns. Um, a lot of bur oak as well. Quite a few bur oak trees, which I'd never really hunted around before. Mm-hmm. I would think, Personally, you know, big old bur oak acorn, it's about the size of a golf ball. That's pretty tough for a deer to eat, but they were killing them. I mean, they're shelled bur oak caps all over the place. Um, so the house sits on, uh, we'll just say the north end. Then it goes down into a big creek bottom. Um, on the other side of the creek, there's a big locust, Osage orange, just real thick, um, it hasn't been taken over too bad yet by like the Russian olive and the honeysuckle and all that. Although I think this landowner would not have any problem at all if we go in there and kind of do a little management for him. So that's one, one angle of approach I'm going to take this spring is, you know, Hey, you were gracious enough. Let me help you improve your property. Um, 
So then after that bottom, it goes back up into those oak ridges. And so you really have everything you want. You got a creek, uh, a steady creek. It's not intermittent. Um, you got a pasture area. You have, you know, your oak ridges. And then you have, you know, real good, thick, decent bedding cover. And then off of the uh, the locust Osage orange bottom is kind of what I'm calling it. Um, there's some of the intermittent cedar, you know, the ones that are 8 to 12 feet tall and, you know, are just kind of... Uh, they're pain to hunt just because they're, they're basically impossible to hunt just because you can't really get a tree stand up in them. But I've found that along those edges and some of those bigger, um, those bigger oak trees has been great to hunt that kind of transition area between, between the bedding and, you know, where they're going to feed on, uh, on these acorns. So sounds really diverse and it sounds really like, uh, somewhere a buck would want to live yeah i mean it's got it has everything you want um and then in that locust bottom there's a bunch of young hickories which you know it's kind of one of the last trees to lose their leaves um real young perfect perfect scrape trees and i found like the tree that they were using so i threw a camera up on it um let it sit for like a week and it was i run my cameras in photo and video mode just because i want to learn you know, you get a real quick picture of a buck or something like that. And you're like, okay, was he running? Was he, you know, this time of year, is he chasing a doe? Was he spooked? Is he going to bed? Is he, you know, anything? Um, and I think it sat for like five days and I had like over 400 pictures and videos. I mean, it was just on fire. So I said, okay, this is where I need to be. Now the problem was in that bottom, finding a tree. Finding at a what tree. point in the season are we at? Oh, Whatever this is year. like third week October. So we're like, <laughs> we're there. Getting into the good stuff. Yeah, we're get, we are we are there. Um, and it uh, it didn't take too long for me to find a tree. It took a little bit of okay. Uh, I want to set up here. You know, no, I don't really like this spot because there's not much cover. Um, I'm one that I will try and get a minimum of eight to ten feet off the ground really just find the tree with the best cover um, that you can get away with the most if you absolutely need to and then you know kind of go from there trim your lanes and, and this and the other so I found the tree um, one stick and then shimmying up a couple branches and boom we're throwing a hang on and uh, the very first time I hunted it let's see this would have been a morning sit um, you know, that late October time frame when scrapes are kind of where you need to be um, if you're not hunting, you know, over a, a hot feed area, you know, for acorns or persimmon or whatever else. I don't know about you, but I did not see a whole lot of persimmon this year. I don't know if it was the dry summer or or what, but a lot of the persimmon trees that I found either dropped super, super early, I guess, out of stress or just didn't produce that, you know, that good of a fruit crop. Yeah, I did notice there was some persimmons, but I would have to agree they probably just dropped a little sooner than usual. Right. I mean, typically it's about the same time that the that the white oaks start to rain. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I was finding the white oaks and the bur oaks, the persimmons were pretty much bare. Yeah, I would say, at least from what I saw, that most of the persimmon trees had been fully dropped by the end of September. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So... Um, I guess back to, back to the tree I'm in. So I'm in a, uh, 
I'm in a hickory tree um, that wasn't dropping any, you know, hickory nuts this year. Um, was within 40 yards of, of the scrape tree that I'd had uh, pretty decent, you know, activity on for five days. I really wish I'd run it over the summer, but, you know, I didn't didn't have that permission yet, so I couldn't really do that. First morning I sat it, um, I'm trying to think, trying to remember the conditions, but it was, it was decent, decent enough for me to get up early and, you know, do a, a late October, you know, morning hunt. Um, I'm one that if I can get out and hunt, you know, why not? You're at least probably going to learn something. Um, so I'm set up and hadn't seen anything all morning long. I mean, it's like nine, I think it was nine o'clock. I said, okay, there's another spot I wanted to look at that had some pretty fresh rubs. Um, one decent scrape tree. And it's late October. There may be some young ones, you know, some year and a half, two and a half year olds trying to, trying to cruise and just find something right. Um, trying to jump the gun a little bit. So I'd moved about 80 yards away. Um, and there's a massive oak tree that's probably, I know the people listening can't see this, but it's probably half the size of that pool table. So just a massive tree. And it's got this perfect limb that extends out probably 15 yards. It's just as flat as a pancake. So I said, okay, well, I'll just throw my harness on, tether to the limb above me to where, you know, God forbid I do fall out, I'm still safe. And I'm only maybe eight feet off the ground. And I just really wanted to watch this low transition area off the bottom side of that um, pasture, but before the creek bottom. So I guess you could say it was funneling down movement. Um, and if anything was going to come in and feed on that bur oak, you know, they'd be literally right underneath me. And um, tried, you know, tickling the antlers a little bit just to see if it would stir anything up at that late morning period. And... Next thing I know, I'm hanging the antlers back up and I catch movement out of my right-hand side. I'm facing to the west. So catch movement coming from the north to the south off my right-hand side. And I just see a flash of antlers. I'm like, okay, we're we're in the chips. And so I'm slowly watching and uh, I don't I don't think I would have shot him. I got a pretty good look at him. He got within about 15 yards um, and just never offered a shot. He was real interested though in uh, in those antlers. He ended up catching my wind and just slowly worked off. Didn't blow, didn't spook or anything. Just, you know, kind of caught that wind and took those couple nervous steps backwards, pivoted and walked away. Said, okay, well, we got got eyes on a buck. First time, you know, just at this spot. Um, and this tree is just, it's entirely too big to hang a stand on. Like, that's just out of the question without, you know, like screwing something into the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I know... <laughs> And I guess this, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but, um, didn't end up seeing anything the rest of that morning. Little did I know a couple of days later, I went to go pull that camera and there was a deer that I'd seen before that I was very, going to be very, very happy to shoot. Like would have been one of my best deer. I'm assuming he heard that rattling sequence because he moved to that scrape tree that I was in before, before I'd moved. I mean, ears pinned back hit one scrape, hit another scrape, and he's just thrashing these branches, pawing at the ground, and just just tearing this place up. And of course, I'm thinking, after I look at this, I go back and look at, 
you know, I try and keep a little bit of a log on where I was sitting and what had happened. And yeah, it was, he, he would have walked right in front of me. I mean, just right there. Um, but you know, you live and you learn. So I'm like, okay. You just couldn't see him. So I couldn't see him. No, but he was so thick in there. So thick, the real thick Creek bottom, um, before it gets into that locust bottom where I was set up before. And so, yeah, I was kicking myself. I was like, oh my gosh, man, why did you move? Just stay put. Like it's that time of year. You just need to stay put. It's first year on the farm. But so I said, okay, next time I go back to that spot, I'm not moving. I don't care what happens. I'm not moving. Um, so I think it was probably three days. No, it was about a week later. Uh, like I said, that was late October. November 2nd was the day I shot my buck. Uh, it was a south wind that day. Had the wind in my face, access in the, uh, access in the stand. Uh, I had, I don't know if you've ever done this. I saw the, uh, the hunting public guys do this, but they'll throw a diaphragm in. And as they're walking in on these dry, crunchy days that they'll, you know, clur or, uh, cluck and purr and, you know, do soft little yelps mm -hmm. as they're walking in. And I mean, it makes sense to me that if a deer hears that, they're going to think, Oh, it's just a turkey. It's not turkeys coming. In. Yeah, a bunch of turkeys. It's not a human. Yeah. So I did that. And I don't know if that aided to my, you know, success that evening or not, but you know, I may do it again in the future. Get in clean, get set up, and um I'm set up by probably two forty five, three o'clock, you know, into legals like six thirty. I like to get in fairly early to let things calm down. And uh we're first week in November at this point, so you never know. Yeah. Never know Being what's gonna happen. In the stand. Right. So I'm set up, got a good south, southeast wind, and uh, I hear what I later learned was a deer sneezing, and I'd never heard that before, but it, it was over and over. I'm talking like four or five times in a sequence. So needless to say, that, that deer had some allergies <laughs> going on or something? Yes, it did. Um, so like I said, four or five times in a sequence that it it just never occurred to me. I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's a deer, so... Um, he ends up, spoiler alert, it's a buck moving in that's doing this like sneezing over and over and decent, you know, shooter buck about the same size of the one, um, that I ended up shooting and he's slowly working, uh, from my South to my West. So he is starting to move into my wind a little bit. Um, apparently whatever he had in his nose was not affecting his ability to smell cause he caught my wind didn't spook, but you know, he, again, did that nose to the air, take a couple steps back and then slowly move off. So that was, I appreciate those deer. I do too. You know, it's Big like, time, man. I, you like, know what? You caught me. Yep. You're going to get away today, yep. but thank you for not ruining it <laughs> exactly. for the rest of my day. Well, and that's another thing too, is you get in early enough that, you know, hopefully something like that at, you know, two forty five, three o'clock isn't going to mess up, you know, prime the rest time. of the evening. Exactly. Primetime movement. So, um, Fast forward to probably four o'clock, four thirty. I was like, you know what? Again, first week in November. Let's just you know tickle the antlers. Clearly, it worked last time that um, something had came up into the scrape after I was already gone. So let's try it again. Rattle in a little spike that worked completely around the stand. Just looking, he was determined to find this fight that was going on. Um, he occasionally was getting my wind, but, you know, a year and a half old that doesn't know what that smell is yet. So I guess we educated a deer, but not, you know, not terribly, I guess. He ended up working off, 
came back through about 30 minutes later. And uh, as he's feeding, he's upwinding me at this point. Feeding along. And uh, the the one thing I think that most people who hunt early November are looking for. That doe that comes crashing through the woods. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we go. It's 5 o'clock, 5.30, somewhere in there. She comes running through. And he sees her. The spike sees her. And boy, he just takes off after her. He didn't know... I don't think he knows what he's chasing, but he's chasing after her. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, that's could actually kind of play in my favor. If he's in there stirring stuff up and causing a ruckus and all that, and may get one of these bigger guys up off mm-hmm. his feet. Live decoys. Exactly. Um, so I end up seeing him about 80 yards, um, 80 to 100 yards to my south-southwest. And uh, doesn't have the dough with her, or doesn't have the dough with him anymore. He's just kind of slowly feeding off. About 20 minutes after she had came through, um, I catch movement again, and it's a buck. And uh, so from where I'm sitting, where this doe had moved through, there's a big Osage orange that's just laid over. And if you've ever seen those, they're just, they're freaking branches everywhere. And it's it basically looks like, this specific tree kind of looks like a brush pile. So I said, okay, let's kind of take his temperature, put the binos on him, figured if he was going to come into range, I was going to take him. He gets behind this brush pile, hit him with a short little grunt, and he doesn't hear it. So I got a grunt tube in my left hand, binos in my right hand, and I'm watching him as I'm grunting. So when he does hear it and acknowledges it, I can, you know, shut up. Um, And I tried to use that brush pile kind of as a a committing point, I guess, if you will, to where he didn't know where that's coming from. And if he wants to investigate it, he's got to come into range. You know, he's got to fully commit, come into Mm -hmm. range be able for me to get a better look at him and and hopefully get a shot so i do a longer grunt um to really kind of see what mood he's in and that head whips around and i'm thinking okay here we go so grunt tube goes away and i'm watching through the binos he comes in on a string walks right past that hot scrape tree i'm thinking okay he's gonna stop and hit that scrape you know maybe get a little fired up no blows right by it ears pinned back thinking okay i need <laughs> i need to grab my bow and get ready um so bows in hand i get clipped in and uh, i had previously ranged um a couple different spots that you know he's he's coming in hot at this point to where i don't have time to grab my range finder um and a very heavy trail to and from that scrape tree uh was right at 25 yards so he clears that brush pile clears a small little apple tree and you know, as he's clearing that apple tree, I'm drawing back, blade at him, get him to stop. And uh, before I'd even squeeze the trigger, uh, and I'll show you a picture. Maybe you can you can post it. I guess if you want. Uh, in addition to this podcast, there was a limb about the size of my arm, about the about the size of you know your calf, um, that was majorly impeding my ability to shoot this lane, this specific trail to and from the scrape. Very windy day that day. And so I'm leaned way out, you know, climb off my platform. I'm on another limb. And as soon as that wind would gust, man, I got a handsaw and I'm sawing away at that limb. Sawing, sawing, sawing. The wind would die back down and I'd stop. Wind would pick back up again. So finally I got this branch cut off that made, I mean, just dramatically increased my ability to shoot this lane. And as this is something you did pre-hunt. I mean, early in the hunt? 
Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So right after, um, right after that bucket spooked, you know, it's that hour yeah. and a half, two hour time frame before, before prime time. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, man, that is, that's going to screw me up if, if I don't, you know, cut that limb down. Maybe it was boredom. I don't know. It could have been boredom in a tree. I was like, you know what? I need to. That buck come through the same lane? Yeah. I shot, so, him, shot him in that same so, lane. So really, that small buck helped you out. Yeah. I mean, he kind of, you, you saw the scenario play out, and then you're like, that limb can't be there anymore. No, it That's going to screw anything else up. Yeah. Because it, it went from, you know, from where I'm looking, from the edge of this apple tree to the edge of the hickory limb that I'm set up in where I'm looking, it's probably about a three yard gap. So about a deer's body length. So I, I would need him or would have needed him to stop perfectly in that gap. Um, and that just, for me personally, that's just not, I'm not that good. I'll be real humble about it. I'm not that good yet. So I wanted to, you know, increase the odds in my favor and, and cut that limb down. So, so this buck's about to enter your lane that you just cut a couple hours earlier mm-hmm. yeah, like an a, hour and a half <laughs> um, when did you decide this is a buck i'm gonna shoot so when he turned when i grunted at him um and he whipped that head around i saw i was like okay yep he's he's good enough for me we get two tags in missouri i'm gonna go ahead and take one it's my first year on the property even though i know there's you know other bigger bucks in here um i I like to shoot deer with my bow. I like to bow hunt. Um, I like to shoot deer with my bow. I'd taken three does previously in the season. And You've been putting a hurt on I'm I'm having like my best season yet. And I'm having the most fun. Like that's what it all boils down to is is having fun. Um and so yeah, as I'm as I'm drawing back, as he, you know, whips his head around and I look at him like, Yep, he's he's a shooter. Um and walks right through that lane, drawing back, bleed at him, let it fly. And, uh, yeah, double lunged him at, at 25, big old mule kick. And as he's running away from me, um, he's getting close to a property line. And of course I'm thinking, oh my gosh, man, like, here we go. Gonna have to call a property, you know, call a neighbor and get permission and, you know, bother him late at night and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he starts, you know, as he's running away, he starts doing the, uh, I'm sure that people have seen this, but you know how they'll start. It's almost like they start hunkering down, but their their legs are still moving the same speed, you know, and that chin starts getting lower and lower mm-hmm. to the ground. And finally, he just puts the brakes on, man, like drops his tail, puts his, I mean, just like a horse would, you know what I mean? A horse is galloping. Drops that butt, puts his feet out in front of him and stops and looks around and that tail just starts flicking. I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. He's getting ready to drop. And sure enough, man, fell right over dropped there at, I don't know, he probably ran 80 yards from, maybe 60, 80 yards from where I'd, uh, where I'd shot, and that was it, so that was, that was buck number one of, of the 2022-2023 season. Yeah, well, I mean, did you have fun? Heck yeah, I had fun, man. That's, uh, <laughs> like I said, man, that's, that's what it all boils down to, you know, we're all, we're all trying to kill, you know, big bucks, and we're all trying to have, you know, have our best season yet and you know continually improve off of last year i mean unless you're you know shooting two state records you know there's always room for improvement um and that was one thing that you know um that i thought hey we get two tags for a reason i'll I'll shoot that buck again you know come this weekend come saturday buck like that walks out again and I'll, i'll gladly shoot him um 
yeah, it's just. Well, I, I like that approach. Um, I actually stole that that mindset from you and and my buddy Carter, who's been on the podcast a few times. His whole goal last season was to just have fun, mm-hmm. and my goodness, he had a great season. He had a lot of fun, and last year for me, I I had shot a few really nice bucks the last few seasons going into last season so I really put a lot of pressure on myself to kill something even bigger mm-hmm. and I don't know I mean I had I had some good hunts I had some fun no doubt about that but you know I, I think that it was a nice reminder last season to go into this season with a different approach and yep. so we've talked about it you know yeah. off air a, a bunch about just going and having fun right. and that's kind of how my mindset was going into this season and so my goodness i'm gonna have to remember even the day i shot my yeah let's let's shift gears here now (laughs) now i get to interview you oh and i get to hear the uh i get to hear your story so let's see that would have been the fifth was it the fifth a few days after after me i shot mine on a wednesday i'm pretty sure this is my first early november bow buck usually i shoot them in october or later on so you're the, uh, you're one that have you, so I guess to kind of ask a question off that, um, if you shoot them in late October, is, are these bucks historically that you've patterned uh, more or less, I guess? To be quite honest with, with you, no, not really. Um, it's always been a little bit of luck involved, so... There's always always luck involved. Yeah, um, it's based off past experience of what other bucks have done. Mm-hmm. Maybe not those specific deer. Uh, I shot uh, a ten point, you know, hundred and thirty inch buck out of a pinch point a couple years ago. A uh, year before last, I shot a buck being on the property for the first time ever mm-hmm. over a major scrape, and that you know that is a lot of luck playing into it i read the sign mm-hmm. set up in the right spot things worked out for me yeah last year i had an opportunity to shoot a really nice buck but uh i i didn't stop him and i, and I made a mistake there and uh didn't end up getting that buck mm-hmm. but that was over experience you know just knowing that bucks are going to move through there at certain times of the year right so i don't i don't really do the whole look at one buck and try to hunt him right because i hunt very small permission properties mm-hmm. and i gotta take what i can get and so i i do yeah uh, and if and if it's something that i think i'm going to be really happy with that's what i do and uh, earlier this year mid-october big cold front came through and i sat in one, one of the pinch points that i could hunt and i had an awesome hunt i probably saw four or five different bucks one of them, I think I sent you a video of. Yeah, I think you said. And, I hope I don't regret passing. This yeah, one, right. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of do. You know, I was, I was really uh, had my mindset on a certain caliber of deer, and so I, I, I passed that buck. A couple reasons. I mean, biggest, biggest reason is I had, you know, if I shoot a buck in mid October, that means I have to stop hunting until right. gun season. Yeah, you know, like, that's I tough. I gotta for wait me. like three, four more weeks, man. Exactly. Like, what's the fun in that? Exactly. So. I, I just, I was like, maybe something better will come along. Well, trail cam pictures did no justice. That's the biggest buck that I've seen on any of the farms that I can hunt, and I passed him up, and I haven't seen him since. But, 
you know, work's been busy too. Mm-hmm. You know, been really busy doing uh, doing work, and then you know, got got a newborn. She's six month old now, and just trying to make sure that I'm I'm there for the family too. Right. So trying to make sure that there's there's balance there between the hunting, the work life. It's keeping me busy, and then just spending time with family and, and making sure I don't miss out on exactly. these big moments. You exactly. know, and so my hunting has been cut a lot and so i'm just now i use the deer cast mm-hmm. i don't rely on it 100 percent. you know i i take into account my trail cam photos history of of bucks and and how they move throughout these properties but also i look at that deer cast and i'm like is it a great day is it a good day is it no okay? honestly if it says okay or better it's probably a good day to be hunting yes in I my opinion agree. i would agree and so you know it's been a pretty warm rut so far and it has and didn't we if i recall correctly didn't we have the same little you know 75 80 you know high 70s low 80s push during i believe it was during rifle season last year wasn't it wasn't it the second week of november i want to say so i know the the first portion of november last year was exactly like it is i mean as we're recording this i think it's like 73 or 74 degrees so you know it's still abnormally warm yeah um now granted we're on the we're on the front porch of a phenomenal cold front that's heading at a great time if you're a gun hunter you're you're licking your chops (laughs) i mean it's coming in yes and i i told one of my buddies that i was talking to him at a gas station i said dude them gun hunters man they're getting the best i know it yes and that was before i had shot my buck you know i was like man this warm warm front is here so i looked at the deer cast and then I I work with somebody side by side, and so we can kind of we can be a little flexible with our schedules. And mm-hmm. I said, listen, I'll take these next six days on in a row for you, if I can have these five days off, um, right before the gun season. Yeah. And she was agreeable, and so I got to take a little rutcation. Well, day one of rutcation, I I actually took another shift, so I hunted that morning. It was that was a uh, really really windy day, mm-hmm. super windy. I mean, people were like, "I don't know if I should be in a tree." Type of windy. Yeah. Of Wasn't a day. it uh, Saturday? Yeah, it was yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Yep. So, so we had. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but right. we had. Uh, we we previously mentioned, you know, my um, the correlation between weather and wind uh, with my job. Um, I had taken that day off to go to the uh, the Mizzou Kentucky game uh, first first game I had taken off for in a really, really long time. Um, and my coworker was, I was talking to my coworker later on. He was like, yeah, I mean, we had like, like 50, I think the peak wind at one point was 50 knots, which is about 55 miles an hour. Um, so yeah, you're exactly right. Incredible, way too windy to be like <laughs> hanging on for dear life in a tree stand. I was so. on, a, I was in a really sturdy, <laughs> healthy oak. Okay. Right. So um, I, I hunted that morning. It was a big drop. It was another 30-something degree drop mm-hmm. in temperature. So I looked at that morning as a morning I just I had to be in the woods. You know, I just took those six days on a row, didn't work or didn't hunt at all. It's November. What am I doing with myself? And so I had to take that morning, and I hunted, and I didn't see a single thing. But the wind was right, so I was like, I'm going to leave my stand in the tree I'm going to go do this shift for a few hours, and then I'm going to come right back in, settle in. Well, I settled in about 2.30 uh, that afternoon, got in there clean as a whistle, and I just I sat and waited and waited and waited. The wind started dying down closer to the evening. Right. 
and I had a, I, I don't know how mature of a doe she was. She was, she was probably, you know, three or four year old doe and a button buck come through and they cut me off. They cut between me and a pond that I use as a pinch. Mm-hmm. Typically they don't go that way to get around. But that she smelled me, but she didn't do anything, so I applaud her for not screwing <laughs> up you, my hunt. I also that. had an archery doe tag, so she played it safe right there yes. because she might have died. Yep. Um, and it was it was a pretty slow afternoon. Honestly, I was on on X on Deercast trying to figure out what I was going to be doing for the next couple of days. This is day one of my quote unquote rutcation here, mm-hmm. and. I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's what's next, what's next. And I probably, I slipped my phone in my pocket and uh, just happened to look over to my right. And sure enough, there's this buck coming in. And I'm like, yes, yes. And give you a little background. Um, I have a, had a really nice 10-pointer on camera over there mm-hmm. where I was hunting. And he was, he was a good-looking buck. And I was like, if he comes through, I'm taking him. And I was texting my father-in-law. I was like, "Hey, man, can he knows some of the neighbor, surrounding neighbors? Hey, can you talk to him and, and see if they anybody shot that deer, knows about whereabouts of that deer, whatnot?" And long story short, eight minutes later, I texted him, killed him. Because <laughs> what happened was, is this buck comes in, and he, I probably, I mean, I want to dial it back because I'm skipping around some stuff, but. I probably rattled once at like 3.30, mm-hmm. and I was fixing to rattle about 30 minutes before prime time, you know. Yep. Um, maybe di- I, I did a, a couple tending grunts, kind of tried to do a little sequence calling, um, little doe bleats, but that buck was just cruising. He, you know, he didn't, he wasn't, I don't think he heard any of my calls because of the wind. I think he was just coming from somewhere else, cruising through, and immediately I see this buck, and uh He's coming up on me fast. So I already had got my bow ready, pulled my bow back, and I'm just looking at him like, okay, yep, he's that five-by-five I've got. And he just keeps coming at me and coming at me and coming at me. Finally, I still haven't made my mind if I'm even going to shoot this deer, but he gets right under my tree stand. I mean, he couldn't have got any – if he gets any closer, he's climbing up the tree with me, (laughs) you know. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, this is way too cool. So I set my pin – not on his spine, um, kind of just, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, but he was a yard away and I still had enough angle to slip it in between his shoulder and spine Okay. that's facing me and come out the opposite, uh, leg. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so he caught everything. Yeah. And as soon as I shot, it was one of those moments, man, like, the accumulation of last year's just pressure and and tough tough calls and and some mistakes that I made it was just that that fun yeah it was fun again exactly. i was like dude i had it it, it was awesome you yeah. know everything it just exploded out of me i was super excited i'm like man this is this is awesome and i you know i watched him i watched him he probably went 50 or 60 yards and and he died i mean yeah. i i caught everything I mean, the blood trail looked like a, a cattle trail. I mean, <laughs> right. it was just so thick and, and down. I mean, you, you'd... Uh, like somebody took a red paint can and just oh my gosh. dumped it out for 50 yards. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Probably the best blood trail I've ever had on a deer. And 
got up to him, got closer, and I, I get closer, and I'm like, hmm. That might not be him. That might not be the <laughs> 10 point I was after. Um, so I, I, I've been talking to you about it. I've been calling it getting catfished. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, and I'd you, never you heard about. that until you had used it. But <laughs> I, I was like, that's the perfect, like, analogy for it is. Yeah. I, I thought it was, you know, that hot girl on the internet you're talking to. Well, it turns out to be that 60-year-old <laughs> right. creepy dude on the other end. Nope. Nope. Um, but nonetheless, I was fired up because, like I said, I took your advice. I took Carter's um you know, goal last year. And I said, this year I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah. And I, that, that hunt was a blast. I can't wait to get back in the stand. It's got me all fired up. You know, it's, it's been a, it's been a weird year because of, you know, scheduling and stuff like that. But being a new, you know, new family and, and just, and life in general, like we guys like us and, you know, majority of the people that listen to this, we're not getting paid to go out there in the woods and you know this is not our full-time job we have a ton of the, half a dozen other things at any given time going on that we could probably be doing but you know instead we're choosing to do something that we love and you know we want to we want to have fun while we're doing it um and we don't want to feel bad i don't want to feel bad about it i don't want right. to feel like i'm cutting in places that are too important to be cutting out right you know and I think a lot of young guys like us can can probably relate to. Yeah. I mean, you have a young daughter. I do. And uh, you know, you work busy hours, and so. Yeah, it's. Trying to get into hunt is is definitely a priority, but for me, it's it's not the priority. Right. But. And there's, I mean, oh, another another way I look at it is, um, you know, living in Columbia, and anyone that watches um, the hunting public is probably put two and two together that. Um, Aaron Warburton from the hunting public. Uh, he married a woman that I think she either works at the university. Long story short, they, they live in Columbia. They live on the same side of, uh, town that I do in Columbia. So I see Warb not very often, especially now that they're Lord knows where they are. Um, (laughs) but I ran into him quite a bit over the summer. Um, you know, just fishing and stuff like that. We got to talking and, you know, we had basically went back to, just having fun. Like, you know, I did that last year. I did that again this year. And if you watch any one of their videos, are they shooting 170 inch, 180 inch deer? Absolutely not. Are they having a blast doing it? Yes, they are. They're just, you know, going out and having fun and doing it. And, you know, some of the hardest parts to do it, you know, public land that anyone can go and hunt. So to be able to have that success and, you know, share and celebrate that success, no matter where you're doing it, you know, archery hunting is not easy not easy at all um and you know to be able to go out and do it and balance you know that that life thing it's i don't know it's it's pretty awesome and not to mention you get two tags so now if you and i want to or anybody else that's taking a buck early season that you know they want to hold out for a bigger one they can probably justify it because you know you already have one buck down and if you eat tag soup on that last one then you know no big deal so well, Cole, I'm not gonna lie to you. I got I got two bucks down. <laughs> you do, you do. We haven't talked about that on the podcast yet. Yeah. I'll save that for me and me and old city boy Cam. Yeah, y'all about our to, trip to Wyoming. Y'all need to talk about that. I know one, it. Man. I know it. We gotta get him out of the city. Come on down and yeah. get this conversation rolling. Right. It's um, I don't know, man. It's it's the best time of the year. 
um, in my opinion. It's it's the rut. It's early November. You know, it's something that, yeah, it's a long season, but it's something that we look forward to. I'm not going to lie. Even during turkey season, I'm, I'm doing a little deer scouting too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Big time. Like, was that a rub made from last year? Okay, I'm going to drop a pin on Onyx on that and come back and visit that in, you know, July, August kind of deal. Don't ever go to the woods and waste time. No, you know? absolutely not. You got you to gotta be in there and check things out. And if you find a shed, that clearly means there was a buck there. So you may need to check that out for for deer season. I feel like there's properties that I've hunted for a few years now, and I go in there and I learn something new about it every year, whether it's in the spring, right. in the fall, in the middle of the deer season, right after deer season. I learn something new every year on properties that I've hunted for a few years. And it's not like I haven't sniffed out every inch of the place. Right. It's just... It's, uh, that's why we love it so much. Cause there's just always something new to learn and it is always a challenge. And yeah, I mean, kind of going back to, you know, I don't know if you want to cut that out or not, but the, the new property you, I mean, that's, that's going to be so much fun for you to be able to learn that property over however long you want to own it for. Cause you know, you own it now. Um, I'm, I'm definitely jealous. Cause that's one thing I'm very much looking forward to is being able to, you know, even have just my own, you know, back 40 and, and, and learn it and make it my own and go in there every single time, like you said, and just learn, learn something new about how not just the deer, but the turkey and, and everything else operates, you know, on, on that property. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's going to be known because I'm going to probably hunt <laughs> opening day of gun season out there. Oh, good deal. I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to take the stick and string though. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I There's a place for, for guns. I mean, this particular spot is kind of a wooded area, timber mm-hmm. uh, area. You know, I if I like to, if I'm on a gun hunt, I really like to gun hunt like wide open spaces, yep. you know, in between big blocks of timber. But I don't know. I, I just, I don't feel satisfied enough with my bow. I like, I just want to keep killing them with my bow. There's, <laughs> you know, there's I just like, like a, doing that. Yeah, there's like an intimacy with bow hunting. like anybody that asks like oh you know why do you why do you bow hunt kind of deal there to me there is there's nothing better that even if it's a doe even if it's a spike you are you are in their living room bedroom whatever you want to call it you are in their space at a range that you can kill something with a bow 40 yards and in for me personally and they have no idea that you're there like that is that's the best part to me is like I was right here I could have easily killed you and you still have no clue that I'm even here one yard right one yard one yard I mean I couldn't even I thought I was gonna shoot my boot (laughs) you could so close right you could jump down on top of me and (laughs) rode him like a bull if you wanted to I know I know it it was it was cool it was really cool and it and it gave me confidence um if I think we should roll this over into uh to some rut tactics yeah, is uh, it, it gave me confidence about the spot that I was hunting. Um, it's a spot that I've learned over the years is a good place to hunt. And, and I haven't really figured out why specifically, you know, whether it's terrain feature, I know there's a, a pond right there. So, you know, mm-hmm. a nice water source, but I don't, I don't see a lot of deer hitting that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, th- I think it, the, the pond does something to funnel them on this on this ridge but that's not the point the point is is that i trusted and i was confident in that spot even though it was super slow 
to just stay in there and ride it out yeah. because it was a spot that it produced for me for a long time and something was going to come through. If it wasn't that day, you know, maybe a couple of days later. So this was a historic this spot you killed your deer this year. This was a historical spot that you had seen maybe not success in years past, but maybe successful encounters. Um, Let me just tell you, it was the same spot I shot the eight point out of the same exact tree and everything okay. last year. So that's your tree. Uh, I've learned, I've learned <laughs> that it took two seasons to figure out that right. that is the tree, yep. but that's the tree. Yeah. That's the tree, you know, cause, um, you know, you're in a good spot a lot of times, you mm-hmm. know, if you're seeing deer 50 yards away, hundred yards away, but it's really hard to find the tree mm-hmm. that's going to, you know, produce and kill. Right. And, uh, yeah, I figured that out. That's, that's the tree to kill. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess if, if, if I were to pick even just a handful of things that, you know, during the rut that I personally focus on, um, I've killed back-to-back years on November 2nd. Um, so I, I don't know if you can necessarily classify that as the rut. Um, but to me, it's about it's about hunting the does. The bucks are wanting the does right now, so I need to be hunting the does as well. Wherever I've seen does in the past, wherever I think or know that does want to be, that's where I need to be. You know, with the wind, um, safety, you know, being safe with the wind and all that. Um, cause of course, if you can, if you can beat the does and then you're going to have that one, all it takes is one, it takes one hot doe to come through or, you know, a buck wanting to, you know, scent check where these does are going to be or whatever you want to call it. To me, I think it all boils down to, you know, hunting those does and, and getting in where they want to be as well. I, I 100% agree that you need to know where the does are, but one thing that I'm, maybe experimenting on but have kind of seen some like success maybe not from a kill but just seeing that it's it's playing out kind of how I want it to when I'm in these spots is terrain features Mm -hmm. um obviously I want to be close to some type of bedding area um or or a couple of different in between a couple of different bedding areas where the wind is blowing out of those bedding areas because, you know, that's bucks are typically, I mean, they'll go into those bedding areas and they'll bump them right out of their bed. But mm-hmm. also, it, you know, smart, mature bucks are going to conserve energy and they're going to just run those terrain features checking with the wind. Yeah. And there's just been some spots that I've found over the years that don't necessarily line up perfectly with bedding areas, doe bedding areas, but they're like just the easiest path to travel on and they're downwind of these doe bedding areas or they're going from one to another mm-hmm. and uh I, i've found a lot of success on that uh the terrain features i wish i wish i could explain there's one specific area i wish i could explain that just so many different land features line up mm-hmm. and like a deer is going to come through that area at yeah. some point if you just sit and wait yeah and it I think a lot of it too is going to kind of depend on, you know, your does right now are really focused on, unless they're just ready, you know, for ready to be bred, I guess. Um, they're probably focusing on the cover and the food. Um, so me, it's, you know, still kind of not only hunting the does, but goes back to some of those, um, 
those terrain features. Cause I mean, once a, once a buck gets on a doe and bumps her around, he may push her to an area that you thought, okay, now why are they going in there? Kind of deal there. I can't get in there to hunt them. So why aren't they going in there? Um, but you know, it's, it's safety. They know that they're, you know, that buck may know that they're going to be safe in there and that they're, he can keep her away from any other bucks that are trying to, uh, you know, to, to take his spot, so to say. That's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around. I mean, not that it isn't true that bucks push does away from the rest of the deer. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to leave the rest of the deer right. to go hunt some out of the ordinary spot. And I'm not saying that that's the right thing to do. I, I probably wouldn't take my advice. I'm not that experienced, <laughs> but I just have yet to just take that uh, approach and, and hunt away from where I'm seeing the most action. Mm-hmm. But this time of the year coming up is, is really a great example probably of when I, what I, I need to do that, Cole. You know, I need to, I need to get to a spot that's kind of out of nowhere where a buck's going to lock down on a doe. Yeah. You know, do you have any examples of what that well, looks like? Yeah. Have you had any experience with that? Yeah. So I was actually just going to say last year, um, I was in the second year of hunting of a permission property. Um, had a big cut, uh, I think they were doing wheat beans that year. So they'd just done beans and they had harvested the wheat over the summer. So there was nothing in it. So I'm like, okay, not really. I think I'd heard your, uh, I think it might've been your father-in-law that talked about wheat beans before. Oh yeah. Um, early season. Yeah. And so I had kind of wrote that off. I was like, eh, that's probably not where I need to be focusing my energy. And previously I'd seen a buck running, um, running and bumping a doe around in a big open field and i'm set up you know on the edge of a um on the edge of a, another cut of wheat beans a long draw with an intermittent creek um and then another pasture so i figured that something that would have been kind of hopping back and forth may have been using that long draw as cover um and really kind of do more of an observation set than anything all of a sudden, I see a doe stand up out of the middle of this field. I'm thinking, okay, I didn't see that before. Where did they come from? And then up stands this buck. And they are bedded right up next to an old fence line. Like, that was their cover. And it was probably, oh, I don't know. It was warm. Like, it's not like it was a, you know, nice, cool, high-pressure bluebird day where, you know, wind chills in, like, the low 30s. No, it was, like borderline you know hoodie hunting weather where it's like you know 50 or 60 degrees Mm -hmm. um and yeah they stood up out of there and she milled around for a little bit and he milled around and i think he bred her like once or twice and then boom they bedded right back down on a fence line what an awesome experience right yeah yeah it was phenomenal um to be able to to learn that but me i'm thinking okay unless i'm going like zach farrenball you know, it's stalking them on the ground with this and a cut know, bean field. Line. Yeah, and a cut <laughs> bean field. How am I going to go? How am I going to sneak up on this buck? So right. it's just, I, I think you have to get really creative. And the part of your mind that is going to say, oh, well, there's just no way that a deer's going to be in there. No, there's, there's probably a pretty good chance that, you know, and you never know until you go hunt it. So if, yeah. if the conditions are right and you're, you know, you got a good access in and out, um, I do think that during this time of year, um, your accent, you can be a little more careless, not completely careless, but, um, 
I think your access can be a little more forgiven by deer just because there's so much going on and, you know, does are getting bumped around and bucks are just cruising and I don't think they may pay as much attention to, you know, a little bit of ground scent um, on your access as they would early or even late season. So I don't know, maybe kind of, I'm definitely going to try it um, once, once that other tag of mine's good, but there you have it guys step out of your comfort zone exactly yeah. don't don't get stuck in your head like i do and and hunt the same rut funnels you know hunt that old fence line that looks like a desert <laughs> island <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there might just, be a monster yeah, in there just sit up just sit with up his against girlfriend. the fence line and with a pair of binos and you know your bow or your rifle and you never know man you just it's that time of year where you just never know what's do gonna you happen. remember the dates on when you saw that happen Oh man, I would have to get back and and look. I want to say, I mean, it was rut time frame. So, um, had it been had it started gun season yet? I think no? so because I think I was in the tree with with orange on. Um, just because you know it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to say it was probably during the gun season or you know a late youth season or something like that. Um, but yeah, it would have been probably mid to late November. That breeding time frame, obviously, oh, yeah. they're still breeding. So, absolutely, um, yeah, you can kind of do the math on that. But it's just, it's just crazy. I never would have thought that up against the fence line, bet it against the fence line. Well, one thing also you mentioned is that you can be a little more careless. I don't know if careless is the right word. I yeah. know what you're going, where you're right. going with it. Right. Um, it's just that there, you're going to get away with a little more. Because these bucks are just, they have one thing on the mind. I mean, that's that's obvious. That's been crammed down everybody's ears before. But one thing is, is uh, you know, I'll hunt different winds for mm-hmm. stands that I would normally hunt in the early season. I'll hunt differently with different winds because I know that the deer movement is going to be different yeah. based off of the terrain and, and then how the deer are going to use those winds. Yeah. And that all goes back to the just experience and seeing them do it over the years it's not just like the first time i ever went in there i was like this is the wind you hunted on and this is why you know it it didn't work out like that it's just the fact that i learned the property for for a while and and figured it out well yeah and if you were to go back into you know say if you were to go back into your stand that you know you killed your buck out of this year and oh you know say you had a northwest wind that day or whatever it was um you know, maybe you can get away with a straight north or a straight west wind. Um, I think another thing, too, is if you find a spot that has multiple um, multiple trails kind of converging on one area or, um, you know, a couple different ridge systems all meeting down at one point, I think you could probably, I don't know, i got to be careful here, but <laughs> well, you could probably... You could probably be a little, um, a little less cautious because you just never know. You know, if you have five or six trails, you never. You know can't where predict exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can't predict the movement on how it's going to be. So you have to experiment, especially if you don't know a property. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. You know, it's like one of those deals. Like I just said, you know, it's not like I knew until I, you know, just did it. You know, and it, yeah. Most people would have looked at it and be like, well, that's the wrong wind. Well, I thought so too, but I still experimented, went in there and tried it. And yeah, I mean, that's probably bad advice to, to say <laughs> not hunt the wind right, but right. it's the rut. And 
if you don't know your places very well, it might be worth giving it a shot. Yeah, and I think that the, you know, the we've gone from like oh the the patterning aspect of the season to you just need to find you a good spot and sit and watch the show kind of deal because you never know where one's going to come from. Um, the spot I killed mine was I expecting him to come off of a neighboring field and cross a creek and then a little creek bottom thicket and end up on the other side of a brush pile. No, I thought they were going to come from upwind off of the ridge where the food was that they had been hanging out in all day and then come down through that bottom and then work their way up into the field. And it was the complete opposite. So um, it just, I don't know. I would say go with your gut. If you are if you get to a spot and you're like, man, this looks really good, but I'd say, hey, uh, just throw that butt part out the window and sit it, and especially if it's a spot you've never been in. Learn something and then go from there. I'll be honest with you. I really liked when I was stupid, you know, and I didn't know anything <laughs> about deer hunting. Right. Because I probably had some of the best deer hunts that I've had. And, you know, people call that beginner's luck. I think it's just the fact beginners don't overthink all their setups you know beginners just go in with their gut and they hunt and uh, that's why a lot of you know young beginning deer hunters have a lot of luck yeah i think i I do think that not that again not that we are professionals by any means no um but i do think that those that consume a lot of um hunting and outdoor media and are trying to i'm a sponge like anything Mm. any content that i can learn that i'm like oh i could take this little piece and apply it um i think that sometimes you just got to throw rid of that and go back to the basics man just go back and sit somewhere that you know you can see a long ways and if you see a bunch of activity come out of one spot then go back down in there or you know move your setup or whatever but yeah go with your gut so you know, you found the setup. Maybe you even know the wind. Are you an all-day sitter? Uh, yes and no. Um, if there's not other, like, family things going on that, you know, I, I would need to tend to. But, yeah. yeah, say the conditions are, you know, I got nothing going on that day outside of hunting or work-related or anything like that. Yeah, man, I'll sit. I love being outdoors. I love hunting. Um, and you just never know. I feel like... A lot of people do the, you know, sunrise to 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock and pull out of the woods and then come back in at 2.30, 3 o'clock. I mean, this time of year, man, you never know what's going to happen between 10 and 2. So why not hunt it, right? Worst comes to worst, you can always get down, move around to a different spot or... Uh, yeah, I think I think that's the route anyone should go if they're planning on being out in the woods all day is to read the situation at hand but i say that i had slow movement all day on november 5th and still capitalized that evening but i've i've sat all day maybe just a handful of times and for me it's it's tough i mean you got to be a different breed i that's why i like october hunting so much you know right you know i you don't hunt a lot of mornings or i mean some people don't I'm one of them. Uh, and, you know, so you hunt those prime evening times between transition to food sources and, you know, your there's strategy in play there. Whereas, 
you could be in the spot where all the action is happening in the rut, or you could be in the spot where all the action is happening on the neighbors, and you're just sitting there and you have no clue why it's so dead. And you're sitting there for 12 hours or so of daylight, probably a little more. I have not had any luck sitting all day. Yeah. That's just that's just my what I've had. I've not had any luck. Um, doesn't mean it isn't the right thing to do. You know, you always hear that's whenever uh, uh, bucks tend to uh, transition from breeding one specific doe to seeking another one. I mean, yeah. that's probably anecdotal at best. I don't think there's a lot of science behind it, but when it makes it's sense. out there. Like you know, if they're gonna, I don't think that there's a, a universal like buck alarm clock like okay you're done with this one it's time to go to the next one it's just whenever nature gets done running its course they're gonna you know maybe recharge themselves a little bit and get right back at it so yeah i mean i would say for you know the guys that are oh you know there's there's no sense in sitting all day kind of deal there's probably that many other people that are like yeah it's especially those gun hunters man that strictly gun hunt you know their their 10 days only comes once a year man so they got to capitalize for for those 10 days if it's those that have been saving up that vacation or or what have you but yeah i just if i am gonna sit all day i'll bring everything i need you know peanut butter and jelly plenty of water um you know bring the bring the kill kit with me you know a couple knives or or what have you um but I've also, I've, there's something I do want to experiment with this year. Uh, my daughter is of school age, and so there's going to be times where, especially this upcoming season, where I will take her to school, um, drop her off, and then I want to go straight to the woods and hunt either until I got to go back and pick her up, you know, after school, or I got to go to work, or, you know, if I can sit from 9 o'clock or 9.30 until dark, you know, I'd like to do that. I want to see kind of what that midday portion is like. I'm sure it's going to be very slow at times. Um, but I think if I can find the right area where, you know, on a day like today, I know the majority of the forecast so far does not have, you know, 80 degree days. Thank the Lord for the rut. Um, but areas where, you know, it's a little warmer, maybe sit in a, uh, in a shaded bottom with a good wind or, you know, maybe not with a good wind. It's just, I want to experiment. I want to try something new and see, is it going to be worth doing in the future or, or why not? That's the best way to, I mean, that's a prime example of balancing that work, family, hunt, life, because you are going to drop your daughter off at school yeah, and then going to go slip out into the woods while she's at school and then right. come back when she's out of school. Like you're getting the best of all, of all worlds right there. Yeah. Yeah, being able to, you know, fulfill that, that family duty and that fatherly duty, but also, you know. And you might learn something about those midday hunts. Hopefully I, hopefully I have a buck to show her when I pick her up from school or something like exactly. that. Exactly. All the little kids circle yeah. around, exactly. check out. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing, kind of we, we touched base on all of it, is just the confidence, having the confidence to do it. Yeah. You know, stepping out of the comfort zone. You know, I'm here preaching some of these things, but it sounds like I need to just practice what I preach. Right. <laughs> just do it, man. Just go out there and have fun. And, and you know, that's the biggest thing to me is is have fun. Um, we, we only get this, you know, one time a year. Um, and it's just, 
like I said, man, it's the best, it's the best time of the year. All right, cool. Let's start wrapping this bad boy up. I know we've been given such really good unsolicited advice. So I figure we better keep the ball rolling here for yeah. our last topic, and that's calling mm-hmm. during the rut. Yeah. So at least we could talk about calling maybe how you would have called these last few days, but I think maybe just how you, you're going to approach calling in the, uh, I guess, the rest of November, what's going to look like for you. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be very situational. Um I, I'll be the first one to admit, I do blind call, um, probably more often than I should. Um, I don't know if it helps me or hurts me, but like we had mentioned earlier, um, I was sitting in a spot and blind called and got down and left and had a gray buck come in range. So, um, I would say, I think grunts, um, are a little more maybe for the earlier part of the rut, you know, the tending grunts, the challenge grunts, the, um, you know, I think bucks this time of year just making more noise and more visible than they are any other time of the year. Um, and then I will, I think I will probably save the rattling more for, um, I mean, I'll still do it now for sure, but maybe rely on rattling a little more later towards, um, the end of the rut or maybe just before that second rut when um, the does and estrus are becoming a little more scarce, um, you know, to maybe simulate some kind of, you know, fight for does or fight for territory or, you know, fending off other bucks. Um, but yeah, I think I'll definitely be doing both uh, for sure. I rattle antlers in the backpack and, you know, ground tube in the chest rig, so... I'll be, I'll definitely be doing both and just see, you know, can't, can't, uh, can't hurt for sure to, you know, unless you're rattling one that's just staring you right in the eyes, then yeah, you're, you're going to get busted and ruin your hunt. So blind calling, that's something you do. Yep. You know, some people like it, some people don't. Whenever you're, you're blind calling, is it strategic? Is it random? Um. You know, let's say I'm going to give you a scenario. You're hunting in the morning in the rut here in the next few days, and you haven't seen a deer yet. Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take for you to, before you start calling? Um, yeah, I mean, if it's, say, we're an hour past sunrise, I don't see the harm in, in not doing it. You know, I would imagine the deer still on their feet kind of doing their thing so why not try to you know flip the odds in my favor i will say that when i do rattle i try to um i try to set up in in areas where a i have good cover which typically have you know other branches or um you know something like that around if you've ever heard bucks fight or you know watch videos of buck fight it's loud it's not just you know the soft rattling or anything like that they're making a ton of noise. So, you know, I'll try and crash any kind of branches that I have in the tree with me. I mean, if you're going to make some noise, you might as well make some noise and, and really, you know, sell it. Yeah. Sell it and try and draw a crowd. Um, and even if I'll, you know, try and simulate, um, a bucket, a scrape or, um, 
you know, a grunt and also that, that thrashing of a branch. So, you know, maybe when I'm pulling my bow up, um, I'll above that bow, I'll tie in a small branch with leaves still on it and then pull that up in the tree with me. So as I'm grunting and you know, I got the grunt to my mouth, I'm also kind of thrashing a branch up against a tree to simulate, you know, a buck kind of thrashing his antlers in a branch, making a scrape. So I just try and make it as realistic and believable as possible. I mean, we're trying to mimic nature, mm. but um, if I can do something to something as simple as pulling up an extra branch in the tree with me, I mean, what's the harm? What's the harm in that? Um, if it ends up burning me, you know, maybe I'll kind of learn a lesson from it, but it hasn't yet. Um, aside from me getting down from a tree early, I don't think I'm ever going to lift, let myself live that down, but <laughs> you'll forget all about it by next year. I, yeah. Hopefully if I fill both buck tags, I'll be like, eh, you know, it was mm. all in, it was all in God's plan. So, exactly. um, but no, I, I do call. I sometimes after I get done calling, I'm like, okay, shut up. Like quit, quit calling. You're making too much noise. It's too obvious that, you know, this is not natural. I just, I guess, long story short, I just try to be as natural with it as possible. I'll just, at least whenever I do decide to blind call, which I try to not do so much, but, you know, you're in the stand for long periods of time. You can't help yourself sometimes. Right. But if I do it, I try to be strategic about it. And, and one way I do that is is the moment the clock strikes sun, uh, legal shooting light in the morning, I throw in a sequence. And I'll start with some tending grunts or just like chasing around grunts, bet, 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 you know. Yeah. And then I'll throw in a, uh, a doe bleat, you mm-hmm. know, kind of make it a little bit longer, you know. Um, kind of like the estrus cans, you know, yep. used to do. Yeah, the old primos, the green oh, yeah. primos, yep. estrus I, cans. I break one every year. I don't know go. how I break them, but <laughs> I do. And uh, so, but this time I've just been using that uh, extinguisher grunt call. I throw it on fawn yeah. and I just that's what I got to do the do the bleat um, followed by those grunt calls and and then I I kind of settle down for about five minutes and then I'll like I said you know kind of like you did you know I'll start ruffling some stuff send out a couple longer grunts, uh, make some noise, uh, act like I'm rubbing on a tree, um, hit the leaves, try to you know, mimic a scrape or something, and then I'll throw a snort wheeze in there. There you go. And then I'll just clash them, uh, them horns together. And I, I do this all within, you know, like I said, the very first thing in the morning. And my theory behind that is just because most of the deer are coming back to bed. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if there's something in distance, they're going to hear all this noise and stuff when they're heading back to bed, and maybe I'll divert their, their uh, travel route. Yeah, you want to catch their, catch their attention and, and pique their, their curiosity, I guess. Yep, yep. I've um, And I don't know if it was luck or completely related to my calling, but something similar. Is, I mean, I've done that for – for quite a few years and I've had really good luck with it whether it's calling in young bucks or calling in mediocre bucks um, I've had really good luck but when I was younger and I was a beginning I uh, I think I called in a doe in estrus because she came in she ran and she you know squatted down and pissed right in front of my stand and then lo and behold bucks were coming in right after and that was like right after I did all that sequence so was it luck? Were they already headed in my direction? I don't know. Or, or was she just trying to get them yeah. off her, her back? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard to say. 
Um, but it's something that's worked for me, and I'm going to be doing it this time of the year for sure. Oh, because, absolutely. You know, it's 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 getting wild out there. Yeah, and there was a, a portion earlier, uh, actually the same stand I killed a buck out of. Um, it was a different morning. So I think in total, I think it was four sits before I killed uh, my buck out of out of that tree. Um, but one morning, had caught a buck cruising on the other side of the um, the locust bottom. I keep calling it. Cruising along, hit him with a grunt. He wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. Hit him with a longer kind of a, a challenge grunt, I guess. Just tried to cut my hands over the end of that extinguisher and make it as deep as possible. I found actually that they're they're not that deep. They kind of sound more like an immature buck than mm-hmm. than they do. Even on the low setting. Yeah, me too. Um, which I do have another grunt tube. I'm going to be taking in the woods with me come uh, opening morning. Um, but man, he didn't want anything to do with that uh, with that grunt. And so I said, okay, well, we're going to kind of crank it up a notch. So I grabbed those rattling antlers and turned away from him, but kind of turned my head back towards him to keep an eye on him. And as soon as I hit those antlers together, he stopped and came running in. So he was probably 120 yards at one point, and he ran into probably 60. Um, And as he started running, of course, I stopped. And so when I stopped, he was stopped and kind of looked around um, and was hoping he would kind of commit to to come into range so I could get a better look at him. But he, uh, I guess he just didn't see what he wanted to see, see, you know, all the commotion and all that. I don't know, actually, if you've ever heard of this. I read it somewhere. I can't remember where, but I think a buddy of mine had shared it with me. Um, But if you kind of run into a situation like that where you got a buck that's curious, but, you know, you kind of need him to to take the hook, so to speak, to use another kind of outdoor reference, Um, and I kind of want to get your opinion on it. I've heard of people taking... Uh, some small little branch or small piece of a branch and tying it to the end of their um, their pull rope, letting it all the way down to the leaves. And then if you can get away with the movement, of course, it's all kind of situational. But bouncing that, you know, just ever so lightly bouncing that um, branch on the leaves to simulate the sound of a buck walking. So if, if they're peaked by the sound of a grunt or you know something like that and they need just that little bit more to you know put them over the edge and maybe use that uh, that simulation of a deer walking to kind of get them to come in i don't know i don't know what you think about that but i don't know it's kind of something i want to try you know yeah i think like you said earlier to make it as natural as you possibly can one concern I have with that specific scenario is when a mature buck is coming in, mm-hmm. a buck that's been around the block before, that specific branch and and bow rope would have to be on the backside of my tree. Exactly. It um, Because if it's not, they're going to catch it quick. Yes. I think. Yes. Um, it, but it's all scenario-based, too. You know, what obstructions are in that deer's way? And, you know, how visible are you in the tree? There's a lot of lot of situations to play that. I think that there's a place for it, for sure. And you just have to be strategic about it when you're setting it all up. Yeah. 
I think so too. And, and as thick as that stuff that you're telling me about is, I mean, I feel like you could make that situation work. Yeah, I think so. And it's, or, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't do it in a, you know, a wide open, you know, Oak flat or Oak Ridge or anything like that to where, you know, any kind of excess movement is kind of stand know, out. Exactly. Throw mm. kind of a red flag up for them. But I do think, um, if you can get away with it in the right situation, um, yeah, why not? Give it a shot, right? Heck yeah. Yeah, any any extra rut advice before we wrap this bad boy up? I probably sound like a broken record, but just get out there. Get out there and have fun. That's That would be my main thing is um, actually before that, be safe. Be safe. I feel like every year... Um, there's always a, a fatality, whether it's uh, negligent discharge or uh, failure to, you know, properly identify your target or where your, you know, bolt's going to land after impact. Um, safety harness. Yep, safety harnesses. Um, especially if you're going to be, if you haven't already checked your straps, which hopefully you have already done, if you're going to be climbing a tree stand for the first time for the year definitely wear your um your safety harness and your tether but um take an extra ratchet strap and throw it around the tree and ratchet strap it just just in case it may end up saving your life you don't uh you don't want the thing that you love to do to be something that either prevents you from doing it in the future or worse you know kills you so but to end on a much lighter note, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just have fun. I mean, Just have it's, fun. It's, there, the weather is. Don't kill yourself. And right. Have fun out there. Don't kill yourself. Have fun. Uh, bring lots of water, and uh, yeah, it's, and snacks, and <laughs> lots of snacks. Um, and yeah, if you can take take somebody who's never been hunting before hunting, you never know. It, you know, they don't have to be the one to pull the trigger, but. If somebody's interested and you got the capacity to take them out for the first time, take them. You may make a lifelong friend and, you know, hunting hunting partner or something like that or, you know, future person that wants to go in on a lease or something like that. You just never know. That's all good. Good advice. And um, I appreciate you coming on, Cole. I've had a fun conversation with you today. Yeah. It's been a while since we did a podcast, so I appreciate you guys for, for tuning back in with us. Um, good luck to everybody in the firearm season and the rest yep. of the hunting season we'll we'll pump out a few more podcasts as we go but uh hunting yeah. family and work are going to come first that's right um one final thing is it's it'll be the eve before uh opening day i do want to say happy veterans day to all the other uh fellow veterans out there um we do appreciate uh everything that uh that y'all do and yeah you guys just have a great uh have a great season could have said it better. That's how we do it on the 573. We'll see you on the next one.